The world is a big place, but there are a ton of little things that connect everything together, especially in music. Sometimes your favorite singer will have a feature that you'd never expect or name drop a band that you'd never heard of. And when you dig deeper, you see how much that band or that album or even sometimes a single rhythm can change the way that you hear your favorite music or how all the beauty and chaos that we see shapes what music rises to the top of popular culture. I'm Tim Gavin, and I want to explore those little connections that bring music together. So let's go on a journey, and let's look at all the small patterns to see the bigger picture and take a holistic look at music. This is The Tim Gavin Show. We're starting off with this week in pop history, and naturally, we're starting off with an event that is very complicated to talk about. It deals a lot with racism, police brutality, and a lot of other problems that still carry on into today, maybe now even more than ever. But it's something that I still feel like I'm too much of an outsider to really explain this the right way. So I'm going to touch on part of the story, but this is mostly about the music. But I hope you'll keep digging even deeper, because I know I will. And maybe I'll revisit this sometime, and I'll bring on someone who knows what they're talking about. You know, if you look back on pretty much any year, you'll find some sort of controversy, craziness, or otherwise unique footnote in pop culture. But naturally, the first week that I try this out, it's on the anniversary of one of the darkest parts of pop culture history. The 1992 Los Angeles riots, this week 28 years ago, started just hours after a jury acquitted four LAPD officers for use of excessive force in the arrest and beating of Rodney King which had happened the year before. Footage clearly showing King getting brutally beaten had ended up making its way onto newscasts, and the footage made its way around the world, putting a lot of attention not just in the US, but also all over the planet on this trial. And the verdict, coupled with the trial being moved from Los Angeles County to Simi Valley, and a jury composed mostly of white people, it did end up causing a lot of outrage. In fact, movie director John Singleton was in the crowd outside the courthouse, famously saying that by having this verdict, they lit the fuse to a bomb. And he would be proven right really fast with riots breaking out just hours later, resulting in six days of looting, arson, assault, and even murder. When it was all over, 63 deaths, thousands of injuries, and thousands more arrests happened, along with over a billion dollars in damages. A lot of the blame for what happened was put on police chief Daryl Gates, who claimed in 1985 on the 20th anniversary of another riot that not only were uprisings of that scale unlikely, but would be quickly put under control. And of course, we all know how he was proven wrong. A lot of the blame for the riots was put on police chief at the time, Daryl Gates, who claimed in 1985 on the 20th anniversary of the Watts riots that not only were uprisings of that scale unlikely, but would quickly be put under control. Naturally, those claims were proven false very fast, and he was forced into retirement two months later. A lot happened in the aftermath of the Los Angeles riots. With many more residents buying weapons for self-defense over the few months after, gangs making temporary truces while the communities worked on rebuilding, and Los Angeles's Korean community staging protests and working to get more political representation. A lot of people might not know this, but 45% of the damages in the LA riots were towards Korean-owned businesses. And public pressure mounted for the retrial of the officers. A federal trial started in February 1993. Two of the four officers were eventually found guilty and given 30 months in prison, and the other two were acquitted. 
but all four had either quit or were fired from the Los Angeles Police Department eventually. And as LA slowly started rebuilding itself, filmmakers, authors, and musicians all started releasing work inspired by the riots. Ice Cube wrote most of his third solo album, The Predator, about the riots and Rodney King. Ice-T put a song on his 1993 solo album Home Invasion about the riots and condemned the targeting of Korean Americans. And Dr. Dre, RBX, and Snoop Dogg referenced the riots on a song on Dre's first album, The Chronic. But it wasn't just rap music that was talking about the LA riots. Aerosmith wrote Living on the Edge, Billy Idol wrote Shock to the System and its B-side Aftershock, Rage Against the Machine's Township Rebellion, all written about the LA riots. But one of the most surprising songs to come into the aftermath of that was from Garth Brooks, of all people. He was watching the riots on TV, and eventually he picked up a pen, started writing what would become We Shall Be Free. The lyrics didn't really reference the riots directly. In fact, you could basically think of We Shall Be Free as the country music version of Imagine by John Lennon. A song about tolerance, getting along with each other, love, peace, all that stuff. But the song would grow to be pretty controversial at the time. But it would be a song that would become pretty controversial at the time. And I bet your first thought, if you haven't heard the song, might be that it was the fact that Garth Brooks wasn't really there or took a less sensible stance on what happened, but the reason didn't even have anything to do with the riots at all. It was because the song was too liberal for country music. Many radio stations refused to play the song because it was seen as a call for gay rights, which the song actually was as well. And as a result, the song was his first single to miss the top 10. And I know you're asking why I chose to focus on that song. Out of all the tracks that were inspired by the riots. But that's the thing, it's those real small connections that I like the most. About how one dark part of human history can inspire someone to sing about wanting to make the world a better place. And then influencing change in an entirely different place. Only thing is, it could be a little harder to hear this song. Garth Brooks still has a tight grip over all his music, you're not going to be able to stream it anywhere, but the song does start off his fifth album, The Chase. And now, here we are, nearly 30 years later. And there's still a lot that hasn't changed. Racial tensions are still high in parts of the US. Other big riots have happened in recent years as well, notably in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. Still, even in recent years, there is a handful of artists still remembering what happened back in 1992. Rap group Far East Movement released an entire EP about it called K-Town Riot in 2014. Another rapper, The Game, mentions the song in a 2008 song, Never Say Goodbye. And Kendrick Lamar mentions it briefly on a bonus track on some versions of 2012's Good Kid Mad City. But it wasn't just one arrest that made this happen. It was years and years of tension, oppression, discrimination that all turned into a week of mayhem in 1992. And I'm really only scratching the surface, but you can dig even deeper yourself. I linked all my sources on my website along with a YouTube playlist of music mentioned in this episode. Link is in the description. Go check it out, see what you can find. Maybe you'll find some music that you like along the way too. And now it's time to go back even farther, this time to 1984. Me and my friend Scott Mitchell are going to look at the singles charts for both Canada and the US for last week that year, and we're going to look at the number one song and decide if it deserved to be there. We're also going to look around for other songs that we love and talk about those too. Alright, we are back with another Still the Number One. Got Scott Mitchell joining me again. How is it going up in Lac La Biche? Uh, well, you know, we've got a whole bunch of people from Fort McMurray now. Oh boy, that's, uh, that's fun. I thought I was going to have to kick the dog back out to the living room. He tried sneaking in, but he saw me and went back. Uh, <laughs> that's because Reese is a good boy. Yeah, I, I gave him the, the side eye. I'm like, get out. <laughs> he just yeah. backed away. 
All right, so we're looking back on the charts this week, all the way back in 1984. And I got to admit, the charts are so much more different than I thought they would be. Like both the the old RPM charts, which I had to go into like the secret government of Canada <laughs> library archives to find. I don't understand why they keep it hidden. I know. But still, so isn't it fun when you actually do find it, though? Oh, yeah, totally. It's totally. like hacking into some government facility. <laughs> it's like we're not supposed to be there, and it's it's fun. Yeah, uh, notably, number one on this day on both charts in 1984 was Phil Collins Against All Odds. Yeah, and it was actually off a movie soundtrack, too. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, you know, it still holds up to this day. You still hear it played so often. Absolutely. But the movie that would that it was on, on the other hand, not so much. No, no, it's kind of gone the way of the typewriter, if you will. Uh, not necessarily viewed yeah. as often. But if you're a huge fan of 80s B-movies, definitely worth checking out. The soundtrack is actually pretty good. Did you know that Peter Gabriel was on it, too? Yeah, I did, actually. I, uh, I noted that, and I know that Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel did work together quite a bit, so that doesn't surprise me. Well, yeah, because they used to be bandmates in Genesis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it didn't shock me at all. Yeah. Um, there's one song that was both on the RPM singles chart and Billboard Hot 100 that I completely forgot about. Yeah, which one is that? Hall & Oates, Adult Education. Oh my god, that is like my favorite Hall & Oates song. Uh, number 23, number 15, respectively. I uh, I haven't heard that song probably in about, I'd say, seven years or so. And then you sent the chart to me this morning, and I looked at it, and I'm like, I have to listen to that song, like, right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually discovered... A new favorite artist just looking at this charts tracy ullman which is kind of random but i was i was listening to that album this morning and let's see she was number 13 on the charts this week back in 1984 with they don't know but that whole album is a bop yeah i, I i'll be the first to admit i haven't heard the full album you're insisting that i do so i will at some point today absolutely <laughs> like it's and what I like about it is that it is so unlike literally everything else that is on this chart. Well, actually, no. I guess Billy Joel, The Longest Time, that could kind of compare. It's that it's that 1950s kind of revival kind of stuff. Also, another super surprising entry on the chart. Number nine, Eat It, Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, yeah. And I knew you were going to mention that one. I knew you were. <laughs> Hey, if, if Weird Al's showing up, I got to talk about Weird Al. Uh, he was on the uh, Hot 100 as well. Yeah, with, but... With the same song. I, further down, though. Yeah, definitely a lot further down. But I just, I find that, like, very wide chart discrepancy between Canada and the U.S. I just find it fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the the Some of the other ones that I had on uh, my list, uh, in at number seven, The Cars, you might think. Yeah, and... Honestly, I like that song more than Against All Odds. I th I think personally that should have been number one on this chart. Yeah, fair enough. And I think it's because, you know, we're, uh, it was the, the time of year where, you know, it started getting warmer outside and you probably wanted to have more of those like feel good upbeat songs. And instead you had a ballad in at number one. 
Yeah. But, you know, ballads were the big thing in the 80s. True that. Uh, number 17, Steve Perry, oh, Sherry. Oh, such a good one. Uh-huh. Number 39 uh, on the Canadian charts. Speaking of Canadian music, there is not a lot of CanCon on this chart. Six songs out of the top 50 on the RPM uh, were CanCon. Yeah, and I bet that... Is that number a lot bigger now, or... Are the Canadian artists just higher up on the chart than they used to be? I feel like, you know, um, there's a lot of Canadian artists who have also broken into the States and whatnot more in this day and age. You look at Drake and The Weeknd and um, Loud Luxury and whatnot, and those songs all still count as Canadian content. Yeah. Uh, and and they're still big in the states. Like even Drake just released Tootsie Slide, and it's already climbing the charts pretty yeah. quick. Say what you want about Drake, though, but I find that he actually does the best job out of all the Canadian artists of like still repping Canada. Yeah, and um, still allowing radio to play his songs as Canadian content. <laughs> exactly. Instead of you know, <clears throat> Shawn Mendes. Uh, Justin Bieber. Uh. <laughs> Literally everyone. Well, actually, no, The Weeknd also still reps yeah. Canada a lot. Like, all, I think I have yet to see one of his songs not be CanCon. There is one, In the Night is not CanCon. Really? Yeah, it was produced in the States. Huh. Yeah, uh, and I, I would assume also written by Americans, so it would only have the A. I remember inquiring about that when it came out because we were going to add it, and... Uh, the answer I got was that it was only the artist coding. Right. By the way, do you remember that song that The Weeknd did with Travis Scott and, uh, gosh, well, SZA? You remember that one they did for the Game of Thrones soundtrack? Oh, um, was that CanCon? No, uh, no, that wouldn't have been CanCon. Power is power. Power, yeah, power is power. That's the one you're yeah. talking about. Uh, but on that list of the CanCon songs um, from this week in 1984, the new entry at number 50 was Platinum Blonde, Standing in the Dark. Yeah. Uh, which, which I think is probably even the best Canadian song that is on the charts here, too. Um, hmm. We'll argue about that in a couple. Number 34 was Martha and the Muffins, Black Stations, White Stations, which when you sent me 1984, for whatever reason, that song popped in my head just because of the line, uh, stand up and face the music, this is 1984. <laughs> At least they got the year right. Uh, uh, number 32 was actually a cover of the free song All Right Now by Sanders. I haven't heard that cover. I, I had to listen because I'm like, is this actually going to be a cover or is this a different all right now? And it was a cover. Yeah. Number 24, holding out for a hero. Well, this is the one I was going to argue with on the CanCon. Number yeah. 30, Corey Hart, Sunglasses at Night. Standing in the Dark is a better song. You're I like wrong. Sunglasses at Night, but... You're wrong, but it's okay. No, no. Platinum Blonde, <laughs> Platinum Blonde over Corey Hart any day of the week. Uh, number 27, though, I found this one interesting. The Pucka Orchestra with their one-hit wonder, Listen to the Radio. Uh, and number 19 was Sherry Keen, I Want You Back. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I find super interesting about this chart is, like, just how many songs, like, did really well at the time. But when you, like, listen to, like, any of these, like, 
classic hit station you just never hear these songs no they don't hold out like um, to all the girls i've ever loved before julio iglesias and willie nelson yeah that's not on there. automatic the pointer sisters you don't hear anymore rocket um, by herbie hancock even you go to number six and rick springfield loves somebody even number two lionel richie hello you don't hear as often as you probably should yeah, but I, I do hear it a fair bit. It does get played, but just not as often as one would think. Yeah. Um, also on this chart that I wanted to mention, um, some other songs. I know we mentioned The Longest Time, but uh, number 19, John Cougar Mellencamp, The Authority Song. Oh, yeah. and I, uh, I hear that one all the time. Oh, yeah. So good. Uh, and another one that was way down on this chart, of course, it was Climbing at the time. Um, number 36 was Duran Duran, The Reflex. Yeah, and that would actually go up to number one just a few weeks later. Yeah, exactly. Like, that was a huge song for them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they, had, they had a lot of bangers. Like, I know nowadays mostly people just talk about Hungry Like the Wolf, but go back, listen to their back catalog. Duran Duran actually have some amazing songs. Absolutely. Uh, you you know, you look like uh, at Rio and Girls on Film and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Um, going back to what you mentioned there about songs you don't hear as often on um, classic hits radio and whatnot. Uh, for example, like Slade, Run Runaway. Yeah. Well, that was on this chart. Definitely. But I think Great Big C kind of filled that void in the 90s when they did their cover. At least up here you in still Canada. You, you still don't hear their uh, cover all that often, even though it is considered CanCon. Yeah. Um, what else is on this list that... Uh... Oh, how about um, Here Comes the Rain Again by Eurythmics. Great song, mm -hmm. but most of the time you just hear Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, and that's it. Uh, I would say you hear Here Comes the Rain Again quite a bit. Not as um, often as I, th I think it deserves, though. Fair. Yeah. There's oh, the third Eurythmics song that's really popular. What the hell is it called? That's the one you don't hear as often. Uh, Missionary Man? Nope, that's not the one I'm thinking of. Okay, because that's, that's another really good song. Um, Ghost actually does a really good, uh, good cover. Would I Lie too. to You is the one I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, that makes you sense, because, like, I... <laughs> I've probably heard that, but I can't even like think of the song right now. I got to go back and listen to that for sure. Yeah. Um, also, number fifty-five on this chart, "Radio Gaga" by Queen, down twenty spots from the yeah, week that, before. Yeah, and it only peaked at what, like number sixteen or something. Yeah, and that song's like better than so many songs on this list. <laughs> but then again, the U.S. did not like Queen that much in nineteen eighty-four. No. All because of the music video for I Want to Break Free. Um, and then uh, also another one that I noticed here, um, Genesis Illegal Alien. Yeah. So Phil uh, Collins knocking it out on the charts twice. Yeah. Uh, that was at number 49. Yeah. Ooh, number 65, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd with one of his solo songs, Blue Light. Oh, yes. Yes, I forgot about that one. Yeah, which... David Gilmore isn't a huge fan of that particular album, from what I've heard. Right. Yeah. His later solo stuff is great, though. Also on this list, number 68, where Frankie goes to Hollywood and relax. So close. 
and above it, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I see what you did there. Number 67, Wang Chung, Dance All Days. It's their only other big hit, but dang, is it a good song. Other than everybody have fun tonight. You, you scroll further down the list and there's um, other songs that you don't hear about as often, but you know they're there, uh, like In Excess and Original Sin. I know, I know that for In Excess, that was like their first like big breakout hit worldwide, but that's, that song is like off their, off their third or fourth album, I think. And it's one that you hear the odd time, but it's not one that really holds out in today's day and age. Yeah. I still love that song, though. But then again, In Excess is one of my all-time favorite bands. The so. ones you'll hear more often, of course, are like Never Tear Us Apart and Need You Tonight and Suicide Blonde, Devil Inside, etc., etc. Yeah. Like all their like late 80s, maybe up to early 90s, if you're lucky. But yeah, you um, don't hear Original Sin all that often at all. Yeah. And let's see, right at number 100, Adam Ant with Strip, which is a song I had honestly never heard of. I, I knew of Adam Ant. I thought he only had goody two-shoes, to be honest. <laughs> no, actually, no, Adam Ant has some great songs. Like, legit. But a one-hit wonder at the end of the day. Yeah. Actually, one thing that I found out, I was watching this um, this In Excess biopic. I had to like go through a whole bunch of hoops just to watch it because it's like it's exclusive to Australia, but really well acted. And Adamant is like actually seen in the movie, well, as a character, because In Excess's first tour of North America was opening up for Adamant, and I think literally halfway through the tour, they decided that In Excess was going to headline. Really? And Adam Ant would be the opener halfway through that tour. That's odd. It is, but you that's don't do like how fast they shot up. Wow. That's yeah, that's something you would never ever hear of in this day and age. Definitely not. So but yeah, that's uh it was a, a nineteen eighty four overall good year for music. It was like that was it's a pretty solid year for pop music i i can think of a whole bunch of like songs that i would consider my favorites oh another one on here talk talk it's my life oh yes yeah and talk talk another hugely underrated 80s band and they have like so many great albums especially like the stuff that's like towards the end of their career which they actually ended up releasing on a jazz label right yeah but so uh good Definitely and recommend you check it out. I want to mention, unlike last week, there were actually a number of number ones in 1984, like 20 of them and not just like nine. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of amazing. Once you get up to about the 90s, that's when the charts started like looking more the same. And the longest runs out of the two of or out of the whole charts in 1984, there were two of them and they only went five weeks was Van Halen Jump and Prince When Doves Cry. So. Which, I mean, it's it's hard to top those songs. It really is. Oh, totally. But you know what? They had to be beaten at some point. And, um, you know, uh, Jump was eventually forced out by Footloose. And When Doves Cry eventually forced out by Ghostbusters. And Footloose beating out Jump. I I'm sorry. That's just like, that just feels wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was on a huge movie. 
That's true. That's true. <laughs> really, like, and I like Footloose, but it just feels it feels like a step down. It really That's does. That's another thing about 1984. There's a lot of like movie music. Oh yeah. On, uh, that hit number one. Like, uh, of course, we mentioned Against All Odds. Footloose was there. Um, Let's hear it for the boy was another movie song. Um, Ghostbusters, y- you name it, it probably was on here. Oh yeah. So it was a definitely the 80s, you could say, was a, a big time for movie music crossovers in terms of radio charts and whatnot. Definitely. Actually, that's another great topic for another day is like movie soundtracks, not just in the 80s, but I think in the 90s, too, because there are a lot of great movie soundtracks from the 90s that have definitely aged better and completely outshined the movies that they came from. Absolutely. I would agree with you there a hundred percent. So what do you think? Against all odds, take a look at me now. Does it still hold up? Does it still deserve to be number one? I'm going to go with yes, just simply because of the popularity that's still behind the song. And anytime people take a listen to it, it's, um, it's almost like it brings back memories for them. And that's, I guess, also the good sign of, you know, um, a classic hit song that it could still hold out today is if you can bring back that memory unique to somebody uh, that would be completely different than the next person. Absolutely. And what about you? Um, I would say it definitely does deserve to be there because even though I do like some songs a little bit more, I think it earns that spot, not just because it's a great song and it like, I'd say it earned that spot just because it was a good song and not because of the movie. Because nobody talks about that movie anymore, but everyone still talks <laughs> about Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now, and it's still one of the best breakup songs. Uh, I actually remember listening to it a lot after my last breakup, too. Well, that just got depressing in a hurry. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? It, it, light, it lightened the mood. That's Fair it, enough. Yeah, that, that, song, that song did help a little bit, so... I wouldn't say it's to- it's totally depressing, but you know, Phil Collins, that was like he says it was the moment that he went from just being a musician to being like a full songwriter too, and with with his solo output afterwards, I can definitely see that. So yeah, Phil Collins still number one. Now it's time to get out of the charts, get out of history, and I just want to tell you about an album that I really like. It's 2005's "Hold Your Color" by a band called Pendulum. They are pretty mainstream around the world, but they are a band that I rarely hear discussed in North America. They have a lot of great songs, really do things in a really cool way, and I just want to tell you about how great this album is. You might say that you don't like electronic music, but I think that's because you haven't had the right introduction yet. I found Pendulum the summer after I graduated high school, and at the time, I still had that I only listen to real music attitude which was slowly being stripped away by bands like Nine Inch Nails, Skinny Puppy, and The Prodigy. And I'm still not entirely sure how it got onto my iPod, but I was torrenting a lot of music at the time. Their third album, Immersion, immediately made me a fan. And that album was more like prog rock instead of just EDM. This album scratched every musical itch that I had. Heavy guitars, melodic piano, bass-heavy synth drops, still one of my favorite albums of all time, but I wanted more. So I did a little digging on the internet. And another musical bias that I had at the time was that live music, actually playing with a full band, 
was the best way to experience live music and DJ sets were totally lame. And that bias was tossed right out the window after finding out that Pendulum did both DJ sets and shows as a full band. And I completely lost my mind after seeing that they had two other albums which I hadn't heard yet. And then my mind was completely opened after listening to their debut album, Hold Your Color. Back in the early 2000s, Pendulum was just a trio. Head songwriter and producer Rob Swire, co-producer Gareth McGrillen, and DJ Paul Harding, also known as El Hornet. And all three had been active in Perth's music scene for years, but their backgrounds were rooted in rock music and heavy metal instead of dance music. Paul Harding started as a drummer in a few punk bands before getting introduced to dance music in the mid-90s, but as soon as he did, he quickly transitioned into DJing and became very active in the local rave scene, sometimes even doing sets at punk rock shows in between bands and later owning a nightclub which Pendulum would get their start in. Rob and Gareth had similar roots, playing together in a new metal band called Exogen, but the two of them started producing drum and bass together and quickly formed Pendulum. With Paul Harding joining them in 2002 after doing a DJ set of their music after Rob Swire had a hard drive failure on his laptop, and later getting to work on their first single. That single, Vault, would be released in 2003 and quickly become an underground hit, getting them their first record deal after another influential drum and bass producer, DJ Fresh, invited them to live rent-free at his place for eight months while he was on tour, and signing Pendulum to his label Breakbeat Chaos. They would quickly get to work on a first album, and Hold Your Color was released in the summer of 2005, and quickly became the best-selling drum and bass album of all time. And if you've never heard of drum and bass, all you need to know about that genre right now is that it's very fast, and like the name suggests, it's mostly about the rhythm section. But this album is so much more. Hold Your Color is a musical journey, taking dance music, rock music, just a little hint of hip-hop and reggae in some spots, and making what I think is a perfect album. And the meaning behind Hold Your Color is staying true to what you believe in, and I think this album does that perfectly. Hold Your Color starts off with a one-minute prelude, building up tension with some almost orchestral sounds to it, and then the first full song, Slam, kicks everything off almost like it would on a rap album, but then after a minute, the speed goes up, and we are taken into hyperspace. It's almost like something that you would hear in some sort of action movie with a car chase. Hold Your Color gets a lot more vibrant after that with the next couple of songs, a brass section calming you down as Plastic World kicks off, and even though this song is a blisteringly fast 174 BPM, the vocal harmonies and those gentle synths, it just makes you feel like you're floating through space. It is beautiful. The excitement builds up again with Fasten Your Seatbelt and Through the Loop, which are really the most drum and bass sounding parts of the album. Make sure you turn up the low end of your EQ for maximum enjoyment and pretend you're in a warehouse raving in the 90s. Then eventually, the album takes you out of the warehouse and into the forest with a song called Sounds of Life. Think of a song that is just perfect for a road trip on a sunny afternoon. Light, breezy synths, and some really great singing from guest vocalist Jasmine Yee. Also, the bass line on this, thicker than a baby's arm. Fans of rock music will finally get theirs when an acoustic guitar kicks off Girl in the Fire, one of my favorite parts of the album, and also the first hint that maybe the guys in Pendulum wanted to do a little more than just spin records. Has kind of the same vibes as Sounds of Life, but has a vocoder instead of regular singing. It is a little repetitive, but I think that's a good thing on this, because that track just grabs you right from the start and just always leaves you wanting more until eventually about two-thirds of the way in, you get this really great guitar solo that is literally better than any other rock band was doing at the time. 
Oh, and that guitar solo, by the way, it was actually recorded on an acoustic guitar. According to Welsh guitarist Peridot Rapgwened, who was a session musician on the album, he said he was just messing around in the studio, not even thinking what he was playing, but Rob Swire kept it, ran it through a plug-in on his computer, and put it in the song. Peridot would become a full-time member of Pendulum just a year later. After that, we go right back into raving with a little hint of reggae with the song Tarantula. Another one of Pendulum's most popular songs has a lot of heavy bass lines, and a BPM that makes you feel like you're stuck in a scene from Fast and Furious. I'm still not sure what the lyrics are about, but all I know is that this song is catchy as hell, fun to dance to, and it'll just shake your insides if you have the bass turned up enough. Then after that, weaving back into a more calmer, progressive rock territory with the next track called Out Here, where Rob Swire actually takes lead guitar on that one. Also the only song that has singing from Gareth McGrillen, although it is mixed up with Rob Swire's voice and there isn't much singing on the track. But it is a great song to just vibe to, relax to, and get you ready for where this album really peaks in its greatness, which is on the album's title track, Hold Your Color. And this song sums up everything that I love about Pendulum. It's where we finally hear Rob Swire singing lead vocals the whole way through, and he took the lyrics from a song that he wrote from one of his old bands, mixing his voice with fast drum and bass beats, and some great guitar, and the whole thing just sounds fantastic. That's all I can really say. Go listen to the song for yourself and see why I love it so much. After that, we get back into kind of a sci-fi territory with a song called The Terminal. It's basically an auditory stampede. It feels like it just runs you over if you have the volume turned up enough, but just as it starts feeling like too much, the terminal cuts out, and then Streamline calms us back down. Rob Swire once again taking the lead vocals on that track really showing just how melodic Pendulum can be. And it's right here where we get a bit of a fork in the road. There are actually two different versions of Hold Your Color. There's the original, which came out in 2005, and a reissue, which came out in 2007. But the last two songs on each version of this album are completely different. The original version has a couple of near eight-minute songs, which continue that formula that Hold Your Color was going for, where it had a more heavy dance floor track, followed by something a little more melodic. The last two tracks are Another Planet, which was another one of their early singles from 2004, and another more melodic song called Still Grey, which featured some guitarist from Concord Dawn member Evan Short. And by the way, Concord Dawn, another really important drum and bass band if you want to explore this genre a little further. Now the reissue, it actually replaces those songs with a couple of singles that Pendulum made in between their first and second albums. A fan favorite and now live staple called Blood Sugar, which is one of their heavier songs. Kind of reminds me a little more of The Prodigy than anything. And another classic standing drum and bass single called Axle Grinder. And this version of the album is the one that you'll find on streaming services. Also going to be a lot more affordable to buy if you do want to get a physical copy of this album. But if you can find an original version of Hold Your Color, I would definitely get it and listen to that one. It's my favorite of the two. Pendulum is definitely a band that I think should have been much bigger in North America, and Hold Your Color is one of the best first albums that any band has ever made. It's a good showcase of everything that drum and bass has to offer, while still being super diverse, unique, and establishing Pendulum's signature sound, and even hinting at directions that they would eventually move on to just three years later, which would prove controversial for some of their early fans, but I'll tell you about that later. A few bonus facts for you, Pendulum also gained a lot of popularity with a remix of a song that The Prodigy made called Voodoo People. That remix became a top 10 single in Canada and number one on the UK singles chart and in the top 40 in Ireland and Norway, even getting its own music video at some point. 
and that remix still regularly played by Pendulum in both DJ sets and at their live concerts. Also, before Hold Your Colors release, a handful of Pendulum singles were included on a compilation made by Breakbeat Chaos called Jungle Sound The Baseline Strikes Back, featuring a second disc, which was a DJ mix done by Paul Harding. In 2006, it got reissued as Jungle Sound Gold, mixed by Pendulum. But the only thing is the reissue was done without them knowing about it completely behind their back, and the reissue featured a Pendulum song that wasn't even meant to be officially released. And it did become somewhat of a scandal at the time. Word spread around drum and bass forums on the internet, and a lot of Pendulum's fans accused DJ Fresh of deviously capitalizing on the success of Pendulum's first album. Pendulum would then leave Breakbeat Chaos for Warner Brothers Records soon after. Also, since 2006, Pendulum's DJ sets were done exclusively by Paul Harding, with Robin Gareth doing the live concerts with a full band. But in 2019, Rob Gareth and El Hornet would reform the first official lineup as Pendulum Trinity, DJing at different festivals last year while working on new music. If you haven't heard Pendulum or Drum and Bass before, I highly recommend that you sit down, give this album a full listen, I think you're really gonna love it. Thanks for sticking around and checking out the first step of this journey. I'm already planning the next episode, looking for more connections, more history, and more music charts to revisit. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, share it around, and don't forget to leave a review. And if you want to get a hold of me, give me ideas, or even see my sources, follow the link in the description. I'm Tim Gavin, and this is The Tim Gavin Show.